Hey, it's Margot Tantau here, host of Windowsill Chats. I am so glad you're here. I have some tales to tell, some interesting stories to discover, and I'm glad you're here to do that with me. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. In the trenches, figuring out what the best way is to get something done, how to get something made, how to get your creative self noticed, how to make the best of a situation. And so I'm here to bring those stories to you and see if there's anything you can pull out from it. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet little corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble Like I need a friend Won't you come and sit in my windowsill again Spin our favorite records Discuss the latest trends Won't you come and sit in my windowsill again Welcome windowsill chats. I am so excited today to bring to you my friend Kate Endel, who also has relocated to Vashon full-time because of this darn virus, but I see that as a, as a high bonus in my book. A little bit about Kate before I let her take over. She was born and raised in Northeast Ohio and earned her BFA in illustration from the Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus. She has been illustrating professionally for over 25 years, but art has been her main focus since she was a wee babe. In 1995, she moved to Seattle to pursue her art career and her early illustration work was rendered in a more painterly graphic style and that can be found in beginning reader books for children, editorial work for travel, and education magazines and advertising materials. In 2001, she began to collect decorative papers which set her on a major art style shift that included collaging hand-painted and decorative papers to a stretched canvas. With this new style, she began illustrating picture books and licensing her images to home decor and paper products. And you'll have a great time looking at her work. It's just so juicy. She's had the good fortune of working with dream clients like American Greetings, Jihuly Garden and Glass, Hallmark, Klutz, Land of Nod, Madison Park Greetings, Modern Twist, Papyrus, all sorts of fantastic places. In 2007, Kate met her husband, Chris Ballou, who was the lead singer-songwriter of three-time Grammy-nominated band, The Presidents of the United States of America and Casper Baby Pants, two separate bands, that's plural. They began collaborating on music, art, and books for children in 2008. Kate is currently working in several different mediums, things like burlap paintings, punch needle, and ceramics. And you can find her selling her work at her online shop, which is kateendel.com. We'll link that in the show notes. She's on Etsy, she's at Pike Place Market when we can go outside again, and at Casper Baby Pants shows, also when we can gather again, and various craft shows around the Pacific Northwest. I am thrilled to welcome Kate to Windowsill Chats. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Happy to be here. So glad you're here. Kate lives, I don't know, two minutes from me up the hill, but we don't see each other nearly enough. Yeah, walking distance. Kate was another one of those people that I knew and followed, and then we found out we lived near each other. It's just, it's fantastic. Yeah, that was a that was a cosmic realization because I knew who you were through the Lilla Rogers Make Art That Sells. I didn't know that you were affiliated with Madison Park Greetings, who I had been working with because I had only worked with the art directors. So the week that I found out that you were living on Vashon was the same time I found out that Heidi Anderson, who also lives on Vashon and is an amazing ceramicist, I had commissioned her to do a bunch of pieces and I thought she was living in LA. And when the Mm -hmm. pieces were done, she said, oh, well, you know, I can just bring them over to your house. And I was like, what? How's that going to work? And she was like, oh, well, 
she's like, don't you live in Seattle? And I said, yeah. And she's like, well, I, I live on Vashon. Have you ever heard of it? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I've heard of it. And, and then I like found out that three of us live, like we can all walk to each other's homes. It just like blew my mind. I think the sparks kind of flew that day when we met. There's a restaurant here called the hardware store. It's our hangout or it used to be. Yeah. But that, well, yeah, that you were two people, you and, and Heidi, um, stay tuned for Heidi someday, but who I thought, you know, who I followed and was like, what? They're real and they're here. Yeah. It's was a very sparky. I call those moments. Like I really feel like my whole art career has just been traveling on this path and just picking up these little like gold nugget moments. And that was like the mother load. (laughs) You guys were here. Giant nuggets. Yeah. It was a vein for sure. Yep, totally. Well, I feel the same. I mean, it would be it would be one thing if we like all met up in like Brooklyn or something, like some yeah. like big artist show. play, right? Yeah. <laughs> but on just this like funny little island, here we are. So don't tell anybody; they'll all come yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit about you. I loved, and it's cool when you kind of or you know of somebody, but then you get to meet them and you get a chance to talk for more than an hour and you hear some great stories and Kate has some great stories. And I am a, just a big fan of, I, I love people's work. I love it when the art really speaks to your unique way of doing things, your individual purpose, your style. And I feel like yours really does, no matter what you touch, whether it's, you know, a punch needle vis- video in your stories or it's your fantastic collage or just even walking into your studio. It's, it's, it's very you, the things you collect are phenomenal. And so a little bit more about how that all came to be. Well, I was born in 1971 (laughs) (laughs) and it really honestly kind of started from there. I've been an artist since I was about, I, I had, my mom's collected all my drawings and they date back to when I was about a year and a half old. There's an excellent one right now on your Instagram. Oh yeah. My first nude drag. (laughs) Um, And you know, my parents were, they recognized that talent early on. And so they really nurtured it. And I was really fortunate there. And I went to a high school that had a great art program. So it was never a question of, you know, is Kate Endel going to, what is she going to do? Everybody Mm -hmm. knew I was going to be an artist. I was a big fish in a little pond in Ohio. So, you know, even my curriculum in high school, my teachers geared it towards art. I had three hours of art classes. Wow. Yeah. I didn't have to, my math education stops at sophomore year because they, I, am I lucky? I mean, you need math. I have to figure out like percentages and contracts of licensing fees. And then also when I'm working on a children's book, I have to understand proportions and no it's true I I do but yes I felt incredibly lucky like and they didn't have make me do gym either so that's yeah really an interesting education at that point in time yeah it was I mean I'm I'm very overly educated I could never (laughs) like my dream was kind of lucky yeah it is lucky but I want to be I always wanted to be a folk artist like an outsider artist and you can't be a folk or outsider artist if you're trained so (laughs) that's like not so much um but that work inspires me and that's what I collect so if you come into my house it's very like earthy weird wooden things all over the place ceramics like earthy textures but if you look at my artwork it's very bright and colorful so I would never have my artwork in my home um, mm-hmm. but I love, maybe. I love to make it. Yeah. My ceramics are kind of, um, you know, I won't really only been doing that for two years. And so that's kind of more of the outsider artist vibe, chunky, not polished kind of thing. Is, is my aesthetic that I love. So. I think that's an interesting point that you wouldn't have your art in your house. I wonder how many of us could say that. I wonder, you know, what the percentage is because, you know, I did take math a little bit. <laughs> I can't even remember the word, um, you know, of, of us who are actually comfortable with our own art. I wonder. Yeah. Um, I love to hold my art. I mm. created a hand cut and hand glue decorative and hand painted papers onto a thick stretched canvas that's an inch and a half deep. And so 
and I'm using archival glues and I'm um, using artist grade materials. And so when I varnish everything and I'm holding it, it's, I don't know, there's just something. I love the, the quality of the, the varnish and the paper and the glues. And it just, uh, it just feels really good. I think if you love it and love what you're doing, that's the best part. I mean, it doesn't matter if you want to put it in your house. It's if you love making it and love the creation process of what you're doing, then it's all going to align. Yeah. I love it. I love running my prints. They do my prints out of my studio on Epson 3880, which is a workhorse. And when you put that paper in the printer and the print comes out, it's just like this dopamine hit every time. Mm. It's just like, it's magic. Everything is like the creation project. The creation process to me is so magical and then I go out and sell it and like somebody buys it and then I have yeah. this money and I can go buy art and yeah. then someone buys my art and then I can go buy groceries. I mean, I'm just, I've been doing this for over 25 years and it's like, I still cannot believe people buy my work. It's like every sale honestly feels like the very first sale. And that's like to have that feeling with your job is just like, I do not take it for granted. That's really cool. And I've watched you we've shown at the same place and I've just, you know, been by your booth and stuff. And it's, it's fun to, people love your work. I mean, they're so drawn to your work and, and it's fun because a lot of them have young kids and, you know, certainly at the Casper baby pants concerts and, you know, just all the people that are attracted to it. That's a plus right there. Cause you get that over and over and over again. It's huge. And I'm a little addicted to it. And, you know, when I started off, the big question for me was not whether I was going to be an artist. It was going to be what type of commercial art was I going to do? I knew I wanted to be a commercial artist because I don't really have a lot to say in the fine art realm world. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in the eighties with stickers and stationery, And um, that was, has always been a huge inspiration. So I knew that I wanted to do something. I would wanted to create something that would give me the visceral hit of that you get when you go into a paper store or a fabric store, or, you know, you're just like, you want to consume it and eat it and rub it all over your body. Yeah. So, I mean, you can absolutely have that same feeling with fine art, of course, but when you do commercial art, it's more readily accessible to the masses. Yeah. So, um, and yours is very accessible and, and it makes you smile and it makes you happy and, and you've done, and I, I want to go back to some other good stories you have about what you did before you did collage, but um, have you licensed much of your collage or was it more of the painting, would you say? I didn't license any of the painting. The all painting collage. was all, um, I started off in the educational market. So I was doing beginning readers and I was doing um, work for a lot of magazines for kids. Mm -hmm. When I started illustrating, there was no internet. So I would have to buy my lists and I would buy them from a mailing house and I would get the labels and um, I would buy a page in an illustration directory. And it was, they're expensive. I mean, 20 years ago, they were yeah. like, you'd spend like five or $6,000 just to like get your page in a book. And so I was hired that way and yeah. I joined the graphic artist guild in Seattle. And so I was, you know, had colleagues and I was able to, um, get freelance gigs that way. And I joined society of children's book illustrators and writers, and I got gigs that way. Mm -hmm. And I was volunteering a lot. I was volunteering for the graphic artist guild. I was doing the art card at children's hospital. I was, um, a volunteer at the Seattle aquarium. I was really out there a lot All those things because that put you, you in front of people. Yeah. And I needed to be um, with people because I was building up my portfolio and I was at home working a lot. But I also had a part time job at Seattle Art Supply and that was huge. So I would go in there a couple of days a week and I would do my volunteer job one day a week. And um, so that was a, a painterly style that I loved working in. And, and I was pretty successful at it. I wasn't I was doing it full time, but I wasn't getting paid full time. So I was always making art, but I wasn't able to support myself. And so that's why I was working at Seattle Art Supply. And that was a fantastic job because that really opened me up to more supplies. And when I was at Columbus College of Art and Design, that school, um, they are really very focused on the um, 
technique. So I had spent a lot of time with art materials. And so to then get a job in an art supply store, I just, I love art supplies. Yeah. And I got a lot of freelance gigs working at Seattle Art Supply because that was the art supply store in town where all the agencies bought their mm-hmm. materials. And that's when people were doing presentation on Electromax yeah. board and Zipatone and Sharpback <laughs> markers. And it was great. So oh. yeah, so that's how I got those gigs. Yeah, you speak fondly of that job. I know that must have been just... The- oh, I dream I dream about it at least once a week. Uh, I, yeah, I have these dreams that like they've opened back up and, um, you know, they haven't hired me. And I'm like, wait, why didn't you hire me? <laughs> <laughs> it's I want to come back. Yeah. I got paid so well there. And, um, you know, our benefits were great. And that's part one of the reasons why they went on to business is because they treated us so well. But um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. So some good, some other good work came from that. Yeah, I mean, you mean from the Seattle Art Supply job? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got my, um, I got my Washington Mutual gig there. I was illustrating for Seattle's Child that way, Um, and I had a friend. I had I had a customer that came in, and he was just a delightful fellow and was very interested in art supplies. And he and I struck up this relationship where he, he, he really wanted to learn about art supplies. And so he would come in sort of like a, to get a little art inspiration and kind of like a little mini class from me. And we became friends and he was selling medical equipment at the Chihuly Boathouse. Dale Chihuly is a very, very, well, the internationally known glass artist. And so um, my friend was down there working. He said, you've got to come to the boathouse and check this place out. It's the boathouse is where Dale's crew makes the glass um, sculptures. And so, um, and it's not open to the public, but because my friend had had this um, job, I was able to go down there. And um, this was early 2001 and spring of 2001. And I was not expecting to meet Dale Chihuly that day. He was filming a um, documentary for KCTS, but I met his assistant and his assistant found out I was an artist and I gave him, you know, I was like, Oh, do you have a business card? And I gave him my card. And he's like, Oh my God, Dale would love your work. He's like, go get your portfolio. And I was like, right now. And he was like, yeah, go get it. I was like, all right. So I went up the hill, got my portfolio, came back down and, and Dale was like, there waiting to look at my portfolio and we had an amazing time he is an incredible collector his collections are just i mean pendleton blankets and these beautiful indian woven baskets and japanese amusement park rides and so we really hit it off there and he um when he does a creation he sketches it out on watercolor paper with golden fluid acrylics and his golden fluid fluid acrylics are custom made for him And so he handed me a cardboard box and he said, go in there and take as many supplies as you want. And so I had this big cardboard box and I, yeah, I come out with like five or six custom fluid acrylic bottles. And he's like, no, fill it up. So I walked out of there with, you know, a huge box of paints and paper and, um, you know, they wanted to do a children's book and, you know, I, I mean, I went, I, my mind was blown and I was yeah. 30 at the time. And I was like, okay, this could like really be my big break because, you know, Chihuly yeah. has his own publishing company. And so he's like, any writer you want to work with, if you don't want to work, uh, if you don't want to write this book, he had, his son at the time was four and they wanted to do a children's book about the letters that Dale would fax over to his son, Jackson, while Dale was traveling the globe, going to his openings. Sure. So they gave me all the letters and um, wow. it was really dreamy. And then they wanted all of my original work out of my portfolio and they wanted to do a trade. And I was like, how am I supposed to do a trade? Yeah. Um, and it's, this is a very, very long story. And I'm going to leave out all the emotional stuff because I got caught up in a big Dale Chihuly high mm-hmm. and that lasted for about a month. And then they just, stopped returning my phone calls and I could not figure out what was going on. At that point I had hired a lawyer and I had wanted to put together a contract. And so I was afraid that maybe because I had lawyered, hired a lawyer that that scared them, but their 
a heavy hitter institution and they, you know, they know about legal terms and that sort of thing. So long story short on that is I caught Dale Chihuly on a, um, he's mentally ill, which he battles with mental illness, which is known publicly. And he um, suffers, I believe from bipolar manic depression. And I caught him on a high Mm. and um, we worked together that month and it was great. And then he hit a low and he was just out of commission and they didn't want to tell me that at the time. And so I was just left, you know, wondering what to do. And a lot of my artist friends who were kind of paying attention to what was going on with me at this story, they were like, you know, you can't let him do that to you. You've got to, you know, they need to treat you with respect and you need to lay into them. And I was like, you know, I didn't know that that's what he was dealing with. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go, crazy on them. I said, you know, I'll just wait it out and, you know, we'll see what happens. And years went by and I'd never heard from them. And I uh, got a call from his assistant. They were putting together the Chihuly Museum of Garden and Glass. Uh And I said, I just, you know, I want to apologize with the way we treated you. And, um, you know, I was under contract. I, you know, there's only so much I could say, but you know, and I kind of put two and two together and, you know, it was a good thing that I didn't lay into them because, you know, it's kind of the moral of the story here is that if you are rejected for some reason, you just can't take it personally. So you just true. don't know. And you don't, that this, especially in this business, in this business, there's a, it's just, you just don't know. And so many of my really juicy gigs have come from just being patient and persistent. And um, so I ended up doing, they hired me to uh, for some freelance gigs to license my product for their gift shop. So mm-hmm. I ended up doing that, the painterly style that we were talking yeah. about earlier, I did puzzles for them and I did umbrellas. And, um, you know, when I had met Chihuly, that was the spring of 2001. And then months later we had nine right. 11 and all my freelance work dried up. I did not work for a year. So during that time, I, because Chihuly had given me all that paint and paper, I was like, well, I'm just going to start, you know, hand painting papers and Hmm. cutting them out. I had discovered Rex Ray at the time and I had that book of his, it's just like real basic cutouts. And I had already been collecting decorative paper from Seattle Art Supply. We had an amazing paper selection. So I had all the materials and I had all this time and um, that's how I started collaging. So if Mm -hmm. I hadn't met Dale Chihuly, I would not be collaging. And I still have a lot of his paints and I hand paint a lot of my papers with his paints. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. It's a, it was a real full circle moment to have them hire me. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad it came back around. We just, I feel like, you know, I'm definitely not a linear person. I'm a, if it sounds good, give it a try. You never know what you might miss kind of person. And I think it's really cool to look back and know what came of going back and getting your portfolio or trusting somebody or not having, you know, not sending that letter you might've liked to have sent or whatever it is, you know, I mean, it's a twisty turny path. That's what this is all about, but we are a sum of our experiences. Yeah, that was, it was an incredible, incredibly difficult time from like 2001 until 2006, not only had I lost that Chihuly gig, but I was engaged and that fell through. Mm. And that was right when Seattle Art Supply was due, they were just starting to go out of business. And that was a long process. 9-11 decimated the graphics community because the average, the graphic designers were not creating promotional materials or advertising materials because everything just came to a stop. Yeah. Not and unlike I was, now very similar to what's going on right now. And so, you know, what's going on right now is, you know, such a big deal and global, but Mm -hmm. I think that what will happen is we will see some really incredible, like as devastating as this is right now, we will see an equal amount of joy and art and music and, you know, there's, we're just still so early in the phase yet. We can't really see it, but knowing what I have experienced with nine 11, and I'm sure, you know, people who have been through the Holocaust and wars and it's, you know, there's just this, I feel like an equal amount of good 
with tragedy. And so I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing how this is going to unfold for the creative community. Yeah. It's that my barn has burned and now I can see the moon. Yeah. Yeah. People are, they're home and they're painting and they're drawing and they're writing and they're learning and they're, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting time. There's something, and we talked a little bit about it before we press record, but there's something about when you're not pushing yourself. I mean, it's not like we push ourselves. We have, we go to work, we get up, we have, we make commute. We might have a show we're preparing for this and that and this and that. So we, you know, we, it's chugging along and doing the crossing the things off the list. And then all of a sudden you take out having the show or traveling somewhere and you get to be at home and your time is different and it's just reassessing all that. And yeah, it's been a hard transition for me when the pandemic hit. I was really, really busy with, you know, there were projects that I wanted to do specifically for the Casper Baby Pants audience. They had wanted me to do coloring books and they had wanted me to do Casper-centric art. I do all the album cover art for Casper Baby Pants and we write and illustrate children's books together. So they'd had those products, but then they wanted Stompy the Bear art and they mm -hmm. wanted you know, googly eyes are, you know, those are some two of the mm -hmm. more popular songs. My husband makes music for kids like but infant to five years old. So I gotten some of those projects out of the way. But then when summertime hit, I just was not interested in making any art at all. It almost felt like I'd come home from art school. I, you know, my CCAD is such a rigorous program. And I'd come home in the summertime, and I would not want to even look at a pencil. Mm. And that's kind of how I felt this summer. And, you know, with art school, I was ready to do it because I needed a break. But I really have been working so feverishly for so long and I didn't want to take a break. Yeah. But I was suffering physically, like my body was starting to break down. And, you know, I sell my art at Pike Place Market and I have to haul the bins yeah. out. And, then, you know, when I'm selling it, Casper baby pants, I have to, you know, haul our merch around. And so just from that aspect, it's like my body needed a break, but I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for sure. the pandemic, I would have just pushed through it. So I'm really just trying to take these months as kind of restorative for my body. Um, and we'll see what happens now that falls kicking in, I'm starting to get a little bit more inspired to make art but i have spent an incredible amount of time napping this summer i can't stand napping <laughs> i feel like a, <laughs> such a failure and i don't go down for the 10 or 20 minute i go i go down for like two or three hours it's probably <laughs> exactly what you needed you're think of all the things oh, that are well, being created that are gonna just you know hatch i get it though i, I yeah. get it i'm not a napper and if you know maybe after maybe after i have no kiddo at home It'll all, you know, like, whoa. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Because um, I wake up and I feel like I have the flu and then I don't want to do anything creative at all. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this you have shakes an, out. You have another good formative creative story, the bridge story. Oh, Charles Bridge? Yes. With the... Um, yeah, so I had mentioned earlier that I belong to a group as CBWI, Children's Society, uh, Society of Children's Book Illustrators and Writers. And if you go to my website and you go to the um, Frequently Asked Questions, I have two she resources. She has a gorgeous website. Thank you very much. Built by A.O. Lydia. Yes. Who I love. Um, I have two resources for people. I have the SCBWI link and I have the Writer's Digest books. The Writer's Digest books are, it's a publication that tells you how to get started illustrating children's books. Cause you can't just like write a children's book and then fully illustrate it and then send it out to publishing companies. I mean, you, you can do that. People have done that. You're not really supposed to do that. And that's putting way too much work into the, into the project. So mm -hmm. when I refer to SCBWI, um, you know, it's, they have chapters all over the, um, all over the world. So they meet monthly and you um, meet with your colleagues and they'll review your manuscripts and illustrations. And it's really great organization. So I had joined that group in Seattle and they have two conferences. They have one in New York and they have one in LA. 
and you get to meet with art directors. And so I went to the one in LA and I had scheduled a portfolio review with the art director of Charles Bridge Publishing and they published children's books with kind of an educational bent to them. And I sat down with the art director and she's looking at my portfolio and she's like, oh my gosh, you're Kate Endel. I have been collecting your promotional materials for years. And she said, tomorrow I'm doing a presentation for the conference about successful promotional materials. And I've included all your postcards and all your business cards over the years. And I, I was like, she was like totally like, Fan, a fan of, yeah and I was like wow this I'm like this is so great Susan like I'm so flattered and I would start laughing I said but you guys have never hired me like what? you can't be that big of a fan I've been sending you guys stuff for like yeah. two or three years and she was like just wait it's just you know I've just been trying to find the right manuscript for you and um she did not hire me for like, I don't know, I think two years after she'd done that presentation. Wow. And since then I've done three books with them, but I just, that's another example of like, you know, yeah. you just kind of have to wait, wait it out uh, sometimes. So I, I'm a slow burn. I'm a late bloomer. I always have been in every aspect of my life. I should not be surprised that it's taken me, you know, it's taken me a long time to get published. So um, it's hard. It can be hard. Top tricks for people who wish or, or dream about getting that children's book gig. Well, it's like, I have a love hate relationship with that. I love illustrating children's books. I love when you open up the box and you see that the book is finished and ready to go, but it's, it, every book brings me to tears because it's scary. It's a big mm -hmm. project. It's 32 pages. The very first children's book I was hired to do um, in the collage style. I hadn't even been collaging for six months and I turned in the manuscript and I didn't even really know how to illustrate, how to sketch with collages because mm. I'd just been cutting and gluing. So I had sketched it out in a way that I would have painted it, which is much more detailed than how I would have collaged it. And the art director said to me, you've never illustrated a children's book before, have you? And I was oh, just right. like, <laughs> and she hated my illustrations. The author hated the illustration, the sketches, the sketches. Right. Okay. And I had to, I had to redo it. I redid it three times and the, author ended up loving it. So it's filled with a lot of terror for me. Mm. Um, but, and then you turn the illustrations in and you don't see or hear really anything for like a year. And then the book comes out. It's, I think it's, I haven't had children, but I think it's a little bit like having a baby. Like you forget how painful the birthing process was. And then you're like, Oh, let's have another baby. <laughs> so I'm always like so excited to do, to take on a um, children's book project. I'm doing a book with Sasquatch books right now about the Pike place market. Awesome. And that's been a big waiting game too, because it's we're we, it has to be historically correct and it has to mm. um, jive with the historical society in the market. So that's been a, a big waiting game, but once, and that, project will be terrifying too, because it's has to be, the architecture has to be historically accurate. And I'm not one for straight lines and perspective. I like things a little bit looser. So it's, that's going to be interesting mm -hmm. to, to render that. But um, it's, you know, and I was self-publishing too. People have a lot of different options for getting their books out there. I don't have a lot of experience with self-publishing. Um, you know, you don't have the marketing behind in. that mm -hmm. so that's the big challenge and it's expensive so a lot of people come to me and they say oh where did you get your books published and you know I have to explain to them the, that I'm hired to do the books and then I buy my books wholesale and then I sell them retail but because I'm selling them at Pike Place Market and because I sell them at craft shows and the Casper Baby Pan shows I have this amazing platform where I can I get a lot of feedback from my customers and I can also tell customers how I've been able to create a job selling art. And that is super fulfilling. Yeah. 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 You really have. I think that's, and just 
just so many different ways that we might not always think about, like a CD cover or, you know, the more three-dimensional things that you've been playing around with and just who turning, having that book happen and having another book happen. And, you know, I think things like that. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, because your, your collections are so amazing. I'm, I'm quite a collector too. I love vintage and I love very folky and repaired things and just, ugh, I love. So the first time I walked into Kate's house, it's like, I think, I don't know. I probably look like just my mouth was open for a long time because <laughs> everything's very, like you described, it's, it's, it's kind of outsider, but it's just, there's so much human touch in each piece you have. So um, what do you love to collect and how does that inspire you? Um, I love Japanese folk art. Uh, I started collecting Kokeshi dolls. Well, my grandma brought me Kokeshi dolls back from Japan in 1974. And I don't remember having them as a child. And somehow they ended up in Seattle with me. I don't know Hmm. how that happened. But I, when I was unpacking my boxes from Ohio, I just had them on a little shelf. And Hmm. I didn't know what they were at all. And then as I would go through, you know, the antique stores and the thrift stores in Seattle, because we have such a large Asian um, population here, I kept seeing these like little wooden dolls and I just kept buying them. And uh, then they're really inexpensive. You can get them sometimes for like 50 cents at a yard sale or, you know, it's a, it's a very, very lovely art form though. And you can buy Mm -hmm. them for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And so I was collecting them, didn't know what they were called. And then eBay came around mm-hmm. and I found out what they were called. They're called Kokeshi dolls. And so this happened to coincide with that um, marriage or that um, when I was engaged oh, and yeah. we broke up, that was like super traumatic. And I had just discovered eBay and Kokeshi dolls <laughs> and I completely retail therapied my Been way. There. <laughs> through that breakup like the only thing that could get me out of bed was knowing that there was a little package from japan outside of my door waiting for me and my mom's like i really think that you need to like see a therapist and i was like trying not to laugh with not with co-feeling right now yeah i was like nope appreciate yep i'm like i am totally buying my way through this heartbreak and so i went crazy and i just kept buying all these dolls. I probably have over, I don't know, I think I have over 600 now. I've stopped buying them, but that's transitioned into other forms of Japanese art. I collect Japanese um, metal vintage advertising signs, which I discovered at Cargo in Portland. Mm -hmm. For those of you who cannot get to Portland, Oregon, you can go to their, they have a great website and they're on Instagram, Cargo Inc. I, that is my Fantastic. church. Yep. That is my church. The women Ugh. that yep. work there are amazing. And a lot of them make handmade items themselves. There's nothing like it anywhere, anywhere. No. And their level of display is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I used to work for anthropology in the display, in the display department. And so I know what goes into creating the, anthropology level display but at cargo it's a whole nother level so it's just really remarkable so yeah that's been really fun and that kind of transitioned then into like I like wood carvings like I know I can't be an outsider artist but I could as a backup career do chainsaw (laughs) carvings (laughs) and I didn't realize how much I love those until I moved to the Pacific Northwest because they're all over the place that's perfect um but I can't afford giant um chainsaw carving. So I was then researching hand carved items from the South, from Mm -hmm. Southeast part of the United States. Yeah. And so I collect a lot of that stuff and, um, yeah. And I collect vintage children's books and now I'm really getting into ceramics and I just buy what I love. I don't really care what, you know, do you think it comes through or how do you think it comes through in your work? How do your, how do what you surround you with, how does what you surround yourself with influence your style? Yeah. If you go into my studio, my studio has got much brighter colors. It still feels vintage, but it doesn't feel like the rest of the house. So I'm more influenced by what's in my studio 
And so it's really the color and the pattern. And it's Japanese papers. You know, I was collecting Japanese papers, the Yuzens and the Chiyogomis, mm -hmm. those like gorgeous hand silk screened papers. Mm -hmm. And I was able to incorporate those into my art. Um, and that's just been really fun. I, you know, and I loved Hello Kitty as a kid. And oh, yeah. I collected Fisher Price um, dolls. When my mom came to visit me at the height of my Kokeshi doll collection, she laughed and she was like, oh, this is what you used to do with your Fisher Price, ki your Fisher Price toys, the little people. Line them all up. Yeah. And they have a similar aesthetic. They have they very do. simple eyes. That little round and, head. Yep. And so that's really transitioned into, I have a, my faces for my kids are pretty simplistic. So mm -hmm. it's shown up there. And I love Alaskan Inuit folk art yeah. and Canadian Inuit folk art. And that, that really is when you look at that art, you can feel the energy of the spirit. I mean, that's such a, an amazing culture too. So mm -hmm. that should really shows up in my owls and mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of known for my owls. And that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. it's tricky too. You know, you, it's cultural appropriation is you've got to be yeah. careful with that too. And um, you know, I don't Absolutely. want somebody to be like, Oh, this looks like something that I bought in Alaska. Like you don't mm -hmm. really want it to look like that but you want to be inspired by it and create your own um you know now, we're all connected that way so you know it's true that's a really that's a really good point i think we see that you know cultural appropriation certainly in fashion and you know everywhere but i think the awareness of that and being inspired by the way a line is drawn or the, the shape of a face or the light and dark of something, you know, those are things that, um, that we can turn to in, in different ways that we can have work for us. And it's just, I mean, we're inspired by history is doomed to repeat itself. Right. That's another one. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think the things that you surround yourself with just walking into Kate's studio, it's, well, um, the studio I've been to, tall, bright, white, you know, plants nearby, but this bright vintage signage and your papers and, you know, oil cloth. And it just, it feels inspiring. It feels like you want to sit down and make something. And I think surrounding oneself in that way, studios are a, a whole nother conversation. I just think people's spaces um, say a lot about how they work and what they want to what they want to work on. Yeah. It's uh, my studio is really my passion. Like I don't have children, but I photograph my studio. Like some people photograph their children. <laughs> I love that. So um, it's very now, photographable. Your studio. It's, it's fun. I love it. It's just a converted garage. But now that we're moving to Vashon, my husband and I are building bigger studios and I would love to, at some point, be able to host workshops and like I just discovered ACE travel camps. I was oh. all signed up to do the punch needle oh, one. Not talked about those before. Um, we have not talked a lot about it. We've because I just discovered it like a yeah. couple of years ago, and I hadn't actually. I was signed up to do the punch needle trip. Oh darn and it! We had to cancel it because of the pandemic. But yeah. um, that's been another big thing for me is traveling for art. Like I. Yeah, um, for you know, sure. for people, for people who want to get started in an art career, a really, really fun way to do it is to check out Craftcation mm -hmm. in Ventura, California. We also have Thundercraft, mm -hmm. Camp Thundercraft here in Seattle on Vashon, mm -hmm. which is put on by Urban Craft Uprising Gals. And those are two organizations that do a really good job of educating you on SEOs, uh, SEO, social media uh, licensing taxes, but then you can also take classes in punch needle. That's where I learned to punch needle was through craftication. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I went with a bunch of, I belong to a group called Seattle lady makers and we all yeah, come from group. different disciplines of craft and business. And, and, uh, and I actually met some of those ladies at Camp Thundercraft a couple of years ago. And we had such a great time there that we thought, gosh, we really need to meet up monthly. But because I had started traveling and going to these different conferences and learning these different 
crafts and skills. So I just thought, okay, not only do I have to do this on a regular basis, but I would love to be able to host something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of great potential on Basham to be this like great artists, community learning mecca of the world. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I, I'll help. So, yeah. And give I think couple, just give me a couple of years. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. But I think too, that, that having a group like that, cause I, I was lucky enough to join you guys. Um, and just having that that community, wherever it is, whether it's an online community, which obviously now, but, but those people you can count on to be yourself with and ask questions and learn from and compare notes and struggle and, you know, have pain and joy with that's worth a lot. Yeah. That group is really interesting. There's about 13 of us and, you know, I've been in business for 25 years, but some of the women have only been in business for a couple of years and some of them are, you know, they're super interested in the business part of it. And some of them are just interested in the making part of it. And some of them are freelance illustrators and some of them do the craft circuit. And so we're all coming from these different angles and, you know, we would love to be able to take on every single person that wants to be a member of this group. And we really just can't because when we'd started the group, we we're meeting in each other's homes and yeah. we're meeting in restaurants and we just um, can't house that many people. But we, what we really want to do. And when people reach out and they say, Oh, can we join your group? We want them to start their own their group. Own. Mm-hmm. And then what I would love is if we could all get together and have like play softball together or dodgeball oh, or, so or not dodgeball, kickball, or, you know, that we, we meet up in a park once yeah. a year and then we're able to, meet up that way because it's really important to connect with your people and it's hard with commercial art because it's I feel like the business end of it is changing Mm -hmm. so quickly and especially with things like social media and Instagram and Facebook you know I go to all these classes and I learn about all these different things and specifically with social media and then like two weeks later it all changes yep and so some of us are really good at keeping up with the changes and some of us are not so it's when I meet up with the lady makers, we're always exchanging those kind of ideas about like, you know, what's working for you, Google ads, how are, what's Facebook advertising like, what's, you know, so it's good to get that perspective. Cause if you're going to work it on your own and you're going to have your studio, you go to, to make art, you have to figure out the business part. And that's a big part about, of, you know, what I want to continue to talk about here and stress here too, are those little things. Um, you know, it's, it is the math side or knowing who to ask or, or whatever it is, but um, you have to be willing to learn what's next and put yourself out there because otherwise you do kind of get, you can get buried. Yeah. And it's hard too, because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. I never wanted to be just an illustrator because you know, what if I was just a children's book illustrator and there was a manufacturing issue in China, yep. then I wouldn't be able to get my books published. Or what if I, you know, was dependent upon a material, especially with paper. I mean, what I learned at Seattle Art Supply is that paper is like fashion and paper is handmade. And a lot of the fibers come from tropical countries. And if there's a tsunami and it wipes out the paper, the the fiber that is used to make your paper that you are creating these beautiful lampshades with. And all of a sudden you can't get that paper anymore. Well, then what are you going to do? So the great thing about being a creative person is there's so many different outlets that you can explore and you just, it can be overwhelming though. I mean, I'm, I definitely get overwhelmed. That's kind of what trips me up. I only like to do the fun things. And that's kind of how I, my day is structured is what do I feel like doing today? Everything always gets done. That's not a problem, but I will tell you that tax time. I'm not like my taxes are not done on January 2nd. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, But if, and if I'm given a deadline, I'm like super on it. So I'm really good with structure and, um, a routine. That's why I'm struggling a little bit right now is because I I'm really suffering from like, well, I'll just do it tomorrow Mm. or, you know, what's the point? I had sort of put my freelance career on the back burner because I was so busy selling in person 
and selling in person is so was so much more fulfilling to me because I kind of burned out on the contracts and yep. the hustle. The hustle was really like, you know, when I love licensing so much when you see your image on a product and you can sell it and you could see it in the store is really exciting, but you just don't have a lot of control over that. No, you don't. So sometimes I would, you know, sell an image to a company and I wouldn't like the paper they would put it on. I would lose all the detail mm. of my collage and, you know, it would be a struggle to like get them to hear that. Um, I'd worked on a couple of projects where I didn't like the title that they'd given the project. It made it, it pigeonholed it. Like they couldn't. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I worked on a calendar wall calendar for years that I loved and I love the publishing company, but they really wanted to market it towards children. And I was like, oh. you know, you could just, if we just tweak the title. title and you know, it could be more for like grownups. And I was selling a ton of them personally. Yeah. I would buy them wholesale and, and I had a really good calendar following, but they were not selling a lot of them. Hmm. And I think it's because it didn't have a great name. Yeah. And so it's hard to, you know, when you work with someone like that and they don't want to listen to what you have to say, but that's part of the challenge with working with art directors is it's collaborative and you're not always going to get your own way. But I also love that, you know, art directors bring to me things that I wouldn't normally do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've gone a, a lot of different directions that I wouldn't have gone if it weren't for art directors. So yeah, um, it's a, I love it, but it was time for me to kind of just meet the people that were buying my art. And I was able to do, I never thought in a million years that I would sell at craft shows, hang my art in restaurants and galleries or work at Pike Place Market. I just mm -hmm. thought those were not avenues that were available to me. And they've just been incredibly rewarding. I really, I hate to say it, but I turned my nose up at Pike Place Market. It's cold and dirty and um, outside. And I just thought you had to be there seven days a week. And, you know, I'd walk when I was working at Seattle Art Supply, which was adjacent to Pike Place Market. Pike Place Market, for those of you that don't know, is a big outdoor open air market that sells fish and vegetables. And it's been around for over a hundred years. And it's really kind of the heartbeat of Seattle. It's a destination. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a 35th most visited tourist destination on the planet oh and gosh. it gets really clogged with tourists. And so when you work down there, you know, and you're trying to get your lunch, you have to battle these tourists. And, um, and I don't know, I just turned my nose up. I was kind of being a jerk about it. And a friend of mine who was one of my customers at Seattle art supply was selling his beautiful cutting boards. Bill Erickson of uh, Erickson Longboards is, does these mm. gorgeous cutting boards. And he's like, you got to sell down here. This place is amazing. And I was like, no way. I'm not doing it. I don't want to be there five days a week. And he's like, no, you just come and go as little or as you know, much as you want. And that was such a game changer for me. I just to like meet people from all over the world and have them react to your product. A lot of my decision-making as far as subject matter comes from people that say, hey, don't you have any llama art? Or don't you have, where are your narwhals? Or how about, you know, I still have a long list of things I have to get to for things that people have asked me about, but um, it's but just really, been invaluable. Yeah, there's just really nothing like getting that direct consumer feedback from the person, not the person buying your work to put it in their store to resell it, but the person investing in it to fill a space in their home where they see it every day, they're going to give you the feedback that will allow you to make the product that's going to sell. Yeah, it's incredible too. And you know, what's been really cool about that job is that um, people don't know what it is that I'm selling. They come mm -hmm. up to my booth and they think that my original art, which again is glued paper onto a canvas mm -hmm. because it's that deep canvas, that one and a half inch mm -hmm. thick, they think it's a puzzle oh. or they, they think it's a box of oh. something. They think it's a box of note cards or, <laughs> and I love That's that people thing. don't, yeah. Or they don't know how it's made. They're like, is this silk screened? Is it, I don't understand. Like, what are you doing here? And so that too is like, it's so gratifying to me that I'm leaving people scratching their heads. That's and then awesome. when I explain to them that it's paper and I sell my paper grab bags because that's kind of how I got started in paper in the first place is I was 
taking our paper scraps at Seattle Art Supply that we had a giant paper cutter and that cut down people's paper. And if they didn't want their scraps, we would repurpose them into a little scrap bag kit. So now that I buy my papers wholesale, I'm able to package those scraps up so they can if you come to my booth at pike place market or at a craft show i can take you from the literal scrap of paper to the original piece of art to the print and then to the manufactured product and it's you know it's that blows people's minds it's funny they like will come up to my booth at pike place market and they'll be like you illustrated all these books and i say yeah i'm a children's book illustrator and they're like really you illustrated them. Like you wrote and you made the art. And I'm like, yeah, somebody's got to do it. Why not me? (laughs) But it's, that's just been like such a highlight of my career is actually like, and being able to say thank you. Like, Uh, thank you for just, just coming up and saying, hi, you don't have to buy something from me. But um, it's just been nice to, to say thank you. That's so gratifying. I love that. So when, when the napping time is done, what do you want to, do you want to, do you see yourself going back in the same way? I don't know. I, um, Chris and I are getting older. My husband is 56 and I'm going to turn 50 next year. That's ancient. And yeah, it is when you're carrying a 40 pound box of books to sell. <laughs> True. It is. Um, yes. And you know what's interesting about my collaboration with him is he and I met in 2007 and we started collaborating collaborating together in 2008 and we were both on this like crazy, crazy production high and we just sort of looked at each other and we were like, who's going to burn out first and what is that going to look like? Because a lot of my income is dependent upon him doing live shows because that's where I sell a lot of my uh, merchandise. And when this pandemic hit, we were both, we knew we needed a break again. We weren't going to do it ourselves. And he, you know, he just finished his 20th album and he's like, I'm done. Wow. Wow. And so, I mean, we'll still do live shows, but I don't think he'll do any more Casper albums. And so in addition to sort of dealing with not being able to sell at Pike Place Market, my husband has just announced that he's not going to be writing music. And so I'm like, okay, well, I don't have any more album covers to do. And he was going to, he was going to stop at 10 albums. So the fact that he's stopping at 20 and he says he's stopping, but I don't know. We'll see if he can really do that. But um, I don't know what's going to happen. Honestly, I'm just like, I don't have a plan. I'm keeping myself open. I'm going to let the universe download itself into me because that's the best way that that can kind of happen I mean I'd like to rekindle my freelance career um Mm -hmm. but right at this very moment I don't feel like making those phone calls and I don't feel like um, I would love an agent I think an agent is a very very special relationship though it is like a marriage it's I think it's almost even more um challenging challenging and in a good way I mean, yeah. there's just a lot. You each have to really, you're relying on each other for making the right thing happen. Yeah. I had an agent about 20 years ago and it was a disaster. Mm. She didn't get me any work. She was in a very difficult time in her life. Her mother had just died. She was menopausal. She just like couldn't keep it together. And I was getting a lot of work on my own and I would sort of run by fees by her and she was like, no, you shouldn't ask for that much. And hmm. I would go ahead and ask for that much anyway and get it. And so it was just like, she was not, she was just all over the place. It, it was just not the right time and she was not the right person, but yeah. it really made me understand that like, yeah, this is, this is a big deal. Putting well, and the right agent is, is a magical experience a magical yeah. one because they have the right contacts and they, they encourage you in the right way. And, you know, it just, it just depends on who you are and who, who they are, I think, but yeah, I am. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I, I trust in the universe and the art gods. Like yeah. they've been very, very good to me. Yes. Um, but I need to practice patience and I'm not good at that. Um, I want to know what's going to happen and I'm, um, you know, I'm just excited. I just like want to do more projects and I want to 
you know, I want it all to happen right now. And it's just not happening right now. And so I have to, you know, I wake up in the morning and just remind myself that my sheets are dry. I can put my feet on the floor. I can go have breakfast. I mean, I really have to talk myself into those very basic things to get myself back on track and it will happen. And I, and I've made art, I've been making art, um, here and there. I just haven't been making it at that frantic frenzied pace that I've been doing for so long. So I'm excited to see how it turns out. I want to keep doing ceramics. Definitely. Um, I I want to do more hands on art and see how that could translate into maybe a more commercial. I think the playtime and playing and and experimenting is often what turns into the next cool project because then it's different. Well, we can take a walk and plan our retreats. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm, uh, I miss my community. I mean, yeah. thank goodness for Zoom, but I'm not like the greatest Zoom girl ever. It's not, yeah. um, you know, the nice thing about it is that, you know, I would, before the pandemic, I was meeting with the Seattle Lady Makers. We would meet once a month. And now, because we don't have to travel and we can talk from home, we meet once a week. So mm. that's been nice. But that's I miss nice. the like, you know, looking at somebody over yeah. a cup of coffee. For sure. I get it. Yeah. Yep. So three people who are inspiring you right now. I'm not feeling inspired right now. That is um, an excellent answer. I don't like it. It's not the answer that I like. I, I know. Love, I want I, real. Yeah. I don't, I'm just not, um, I'm not feeling it in the past. I love Aaron Murray. He is a local ceramicist. And I created an entire body of work based off his work Mm. where I was hand painting on Japanese paper and I was cutting the paper out and then gluing onto a canvas and then selling that as an original piece of art. And it was really just inspired by the energy that he puts into his brushwork is Mm. just incredible. And he teaches and I've taken his classes and um, I love him. I love his artwork. He's got a real folk artist feel and he's on Instagram and Etsy and he sells at Pike Place Market, but he, he is like a real big one. And you know, who was really big for me um, early in like the two thousands. Um, do you know Amy Rupel and Trish Grantham? They're, oh yeah. They're Portland artists. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They, they have, you know, been illustrators and graphic designers mm-hmm. that took the leap into showing in galleries. And mm-hmm. I was just starting my um, collaging technique and I wasn't really sure what to do with it I didn't I you know foolishly was like I don't want to show in galleries and I don't want to be a fine artist but they were commercial artists that were doing it and they were selling in stores and like little boutiques and they were selling in these little independent galleries and I was like you know I could do that Mm -hmm. and so that's how I started working on collages they were huge inspirations to me those are good ones um, yeah I don't know what's going on in Portland with the water down there, but man, they got it going on. Yeah. It's uh, I, I'm lucky. I feel lucky we're here right now. Yeah. It's, I mean, if I'm really need inspiration, I'll go to Portland yeah. and just, that's like my happy place. It's a good place. Yeah. Thank you for being honest and showing up and talking about you and your stuff and what makes you tick and what doesn't make you tick. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. It's I, a pleasure. I'm flattered. I just, well, you're one of my favorites. I, I think the course you've taken, just following your heart and playing with what feels right to do next, um, you know, I think it, it's the way to go if we can. So I appreciate it. And I'm really glad yeah. you live close to me. And we'll Me see too. Again someday. I know. I am inspired by you too. I mean, you're such a connector, and you're so generous with your oh, advice, thanks. and your your aesthetic is just, you know, you people can't see her. Margo has yellow headset on, and she has a yellow sweater, and the hair ties and her hair are yellow. And it <laughs> all looks phenomenal, and she has beautiful silvery gray hair that kind of matches the blue gray scarf that she's wearing and it's just a vision and now I feel like I'm gonna after our call I'm gonna go put on a matching outfit <laughs> oh, inspired. Thank, you. thank you thank you well you and know jewelry I love your jewelry too oh 
So. Thank you, darling. Thanks. Well, once in a while, I mean, you know, when I've, I'll get into the studio again someday. I was thinking, you know, gosh, it's a pandemic. I can go into the studio and make some jewelry. Anyway, I'm making this instead, which is bringing me a lot of joy. So yeah, it should. You're doing a phenomenal job. Like I've listened to every, well, I have to listen to Shauna's. I'll listen to Shauna Hearn. I love Shauna. So that's going to be really fun to listen to. But um, the mix of people you've had has been really great. So I can't wait to see like where else you're going to go with it. So Thanks. it's exciting. I, I have a long list of, uh, I have a long wish list. So yeah, I bet so you because you're a connector. Of, I am a connector. I love it. And I love hearing um, you know, people who have been on and how they've been reached out to and, and connected in ways they, ways they didn't expect. And that's my favorite part, really. It's just, just works out that way. So I've, I've certainly worked with and met some pretty fascinating and fabulous people. So I'm happy to share. Yeah, it's appreciated. Thank you. And we have come to the end of another recording of windowsill chats. Thanks so much for being here with me. I value your time, and I just hope you've gotten as much out of this as I have. It's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations and these friends and these wonderful people that I have met along the way. So if you're so inclined, another reminder to subscribe and jot down a review for me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have any questions or want to check out more details that we talked about, head over to the show notes at tantostudio.com. I look so forward to seeing you again next week. Have a good one, everyone.